Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right, 1230 North Campus, how we doing? We excited to be here? It has been an incredible weekend. Um, This is the one service that's not being simulcast, so it's just live right here. Um, Thank you for joining us. My name is Bryant Lee, pastor here, and uh, it's it's enough that it's Easter weekend, but the launch um, of our North Campus is the inaugural weekend. It's been absolutely amazing. So uh, we are glad that you are with us in the house today. Uh, how many of you, um, I don't think anybody has physical pictures anymore, so we, I don't know if anybody knows about this. If you don't, this is maybe worth coming right here, but on Instagram, if you use Instagram, you hashtag like family vacay or one of your kids, and then they'll compile those hashtags and they'll send you books um, with those photos. Like this is like the only physical photos we have. But my point is, do you ever look at a photo of like your kids or family vacation and nothing about the photo matches the reality of what actually happened? You know what I'm talking about? So my um, oldest girl, when she was three, we went to like a pumpkin patch for fall. And so it's Florida. So it's 92 degrees, number one. Um, And then number two, she was horrible all day. Like, and just be real about your kids. Sometimes your kids are annoying. So she was annoying. She cried. She fussed. Nothing made her happy. It's 92 degrees. And we get done. About an hour and a half, we endured this. And then we're like, no more. And we go back to the car, and Nicole is getting our other son into the car. I can't even see her, and I'm buckling in, Brooke, and um, she's three. And literally, this is the only time all day that she stopped crying. And I'm buckling her in, and she looks at me with her big, like, three-year-old eyes, and she's like, Daddy, did we have fun today? (laughs) And all I hear is my wife out of nowhere, no, we did not. (laughs) We did not have fun today. Um, same is true of like family vacations. Like you look at like the time hops that come up if you're on social media and it's like everybody's smiling in the vacation photo, but it it doesn't match the reality of what actually happened. Like this happened recently and this is true story, like where the photo comes up and like everything looks amazing, but then you remember what actually happened in real time that you did an Airbnb that kind of reminds you of something out of the shining and then your, this is a true story, your brother-in-law gets salmonella poisoning and your kids are going nuts. You got to stop at Walmart. You go in and your one boy decides to make the toy aisle of Walmart his little personal urinal and starts peeing all over the floor. And so when that time hop comes up, I'm like, no, 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 you're not going to lie to me. Everybody looks happy. That was not a fun vacation. That's not what in reality actually happened. And then every once in a while, reality actually matches up with like the rewind, the photos after the event, kind of like this right here. And it captures what was actually happening in the moment, um, unlike at other times. Um, So that should be a part of the family vacation album. That's what it looks like right there. So you take that down. He's not going to know. So here's my whole point in this is, is a lot of times like what we experience in real time, it's very different in the rewind, and what I mean is when we look back, 
like it's so easy to lose sight of what was real. In fact, if you even go to the whole Easter story or actually before I get there, just like faith and Christianity in general, I think we struggle with this. Like we have an idea of what we think faith should look like, what we have been told it should look like, what we want things to look like, and then our reality doesn't match up. And in fact, maybe for some of you on radio, podcast, or if you're in the room right now, you've walked away, and part of the reason that you walked away from faith or Christianity is because what you were told and what you were taught didn't match up with your physical reality. Like it just didn't go down that way. And as you go back to the Easter story, we have this like romanticized view on the other side, this rewind version where you got guys like Peter and John and monuments are built to them. And, you know, a third of the world this weekend is celebrating Jesus. And you, you've got all of the a Roman cross that signifies one Roman crucifixion. And whether you believe in Jesus or not, his message this weekend is dominating the world. And it's easy to look at all of that and lose sight of what really was happening in real time. Because if you were to rewind back to Easter weekend, here's what you would find. There was nobody in the middle of Easter weekend that believed in Jesus anymore. There were no followers of Jesus on Easter weekend. Everybody abandoned faith. And then this is really important if you want to understand Christianity. And then something happened that changed everything. That's what I want to talk about for a couple minutes because this is such good news. And it's not that your questions don't matter because they do. And we have a lot of people who investigate that tune in and attend our services and churches. But it's not that, that your questions don't matter. The pain that you're walking through doesn't matter because it does. Not that you shouldn't have doubts. Not that you should just ignore your questions about the Bible or the hypocrites that you met or your bad church experience. But this weekend, we celebrate something that happened that doesn't make those things irrelevant, but it means that you can be intellectually honest and you can follow anyway and you can believe anyway because the basis of our faith is not any of those things. The basis of our faith is an event that happened in history that changed everything on Easter weekend. One of my favorite writers is Luke. He's the guy that interviewed all these eyewitnesses. And then he sat down to write the real-time accounts. And I love his writing because he is so raw. He interviews everybody and then goes, I don't know if how I write this is going to help our cause because everybody really looks kind of bad on that weekend. All the guys that you're supposed to follow, all the guys that we've built monuments to. But this is what happened in real time. This is what we actually felt as it was happening. And Luke starts, and you know the story, at the, the beginning of the weekend, and he writes about the trial that Jesus was put through and the beating and the scourging, and eventually he's led to a cross, and they start to nail him to the cross, and Luke picks it up in Luke 23, 44, and says that when all of this was happening, it was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and then in verse 45, the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple where they believe the presence of God resided, was torn in two. And if you would have been there in that moment and happened to be in the temple, maybe taking a tour, bringing your sacrifice, and Jesus, as he's breathing his last breath, the temple curtain is tearing, in that moment, you would have thought that's just another symbolic reminder that everything that we had hoped in is gone. And then in verse 45, you know these famous words, Jesus called out as he's on the cross, bleeding to death, about to die of asphyxiation, that, Father, into your hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then when he said this, he breathed his last. 
And I love as Luke is writing this because here's what we miss. He's writing a real-time perspective. So he's going, this is what we thought was happening in the moment. And Luke's like, if you want to know what our perception was as it was happening, we thought at this moment it was all over. Nobody knows the end of the story. We thought that everything that Jesus had told us to believe in, it was all gone. And we felt like it was over. And here's what I want to say to some of you, and then I'll move on, is that you may be in a place where you were handed something, and you're walking through a difficult experience, and you know what you should feel, you know what you should believe, you know the right answers, and even though you know the right answers of, I think God loves me, God's here with me, even though you know the right answers, it just feels over. And even though you've been told maybe what to think or how you should respond, your emotions kind of trump that because it just feels over. And there they were, all these guys, and they watched the most influential man that they had ever met in their life be crucified in the most brutal way imaginable. And they walk away, and they start to go back to their apartments and places where they would hide out over the weekend. And, and when they walked away, you just need to understand this. They had zero hope. This is the real-time version. They had zero confidence in Jesus or anything else. And they had zero expectation, and they walked away and... Literally, their hearts are broken. And for good reason. Here's what you need to understand about Jesus is Jesus, unlike other religions, was the center of the movement. Because Jesus would make statements like this. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not asking you to believe in teachings about it. I'm telling you I am that. Jesus was the movement. And Jesus was the message. He said this over and over again. I don't want you to believe in a set of laws or principles or teachings. I want you to believe personally in me. And so when Jesus died on Easter weekend, the movement died with him, and his teachings died with him, and there was nothing to take forward because all of it meant nothing without Jesus, unlike other religions, because Jesus was the center of it all. And so they walked away knowing all of this with zero hope and zero expectation. These are the heroes that we herald. And they go back to hide out. Dudes are in a fetal position over the weekend, scared to death that they took out their leader and they're next on the hit list. And all of them are hiding out and no, none of them believe anymore. And then you know this, after the weekend progresses, and if you've ever lost somebody, you know this feeling where they get to the place where every day goes by and the reality that it's really over sets in more and more. And on that weekend, early in the morning, on Sunday morning, two women go out to go to the tomb. And I'm not making a statement by this, but you just do have to ask this question. Where were the dudes on Sunday morning? Where were they at? The women go to the tomb, and they have no bold faith. They, they don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. They are heartbroken, but they're doing the only thing that they know to do. And so Jesus' body had been embalmed earlier in the weekend, and and they go back to the tomb, and you know this is true. They figured that two guys did it early in the weekend. They did it wrong, and so they're coming back to the tomb to re-embalm it again. That's just truth. That's real time. <laughs> and Luke 24, 1, it says, So on the first day of the week, early in the morning, the women, dudes, are hiding out in fetal positions. They took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And if you're writing this story... Or if Luke's making up a story, cue the music, because this is the point where they get to the tomb and they're like, it's real. Jesus talked about it. Jesus prophesied. We have all these predictions. And Jesus did what he said he was going to do. He's not in the tomb. He's alive. And yet the women get there. And they don't even think resurrection. 
They, it doesn't even cross their mind. They think the weekend went from bad to worse, and Jesus isn't just dead. Jesus' body has been stolen. And they have no faith and no expectation that Jesus is going to do anything. They're just trying to pick up the pieces from what already happened and the fact that how could we let ourselves believe this was true? And now they're trying to manage their expectations again. And it's not until they encounter an angel, this may be weird to you, but not until they encounter an angel who starts walking them through all the predictions and they're, they're you know, talking with an angel, that's a clue that something big has happened this weekend, that finally the reality sets in that Jesus really is not here and that maybe he really did rise from the grave and they run back to the guys who are hiding out and are scared for their life and none of them wants to leave their apartments. And in verse 9, I love this, so they got back, the women did, to the tomb and they told all these things to the 11, because Judas is out of the picture, and, and to all the other disciples or followers of Jesus that were all there together, afraid for their life. And then I love this. But in verse 11, but they did not believe the women. They all run back. The women are out of breath. They can't wait to tell them what they have seen. They encountered angels. There's not a body in the tomb. And they get back there, and the women talk to the men. And immediately the men are like, no, that didn't happen. There's no way that Jesus is not in the tomb. And here's the thing, Luke, why in the world would you write this? Because women in the first century are not considered credible witnesses in court. Why would you write them in as the first to get to the tomb where all of the guys are hiding out? And Luke's like, I know, it's terrible fiction. Nobody would make this up, but I'm just telling you, this is real time. What happened? Women were the first to get to a tomb and find that there was no body. I wish it hadn't happened that way because nobody's going to believe it, but that's just what happened. And then when they got there, all of the guys that we build monuments to just assumed they took a wrong left turn and ended up at the wrong tomb, and it couldn't really be true. Because their word seems to them like, what's the word? Our 1230 is really, really quiet. And I will preach 75 minutes if you do not get it in gear right now and give me some energy because there, there's no other service. I can do whatever I want right now. Because their words seem to them like, help me out of the 1230 service. Nonsense. And I love this. Let me just interact with, with some of you where your doubts are at. Because that's exactly where you are. And, and there's some value in Jesus' teaching. And you think that he was maybe a good prophet. And there's stuff that you think is really valuable for humanity, but you are right alongside of these guys in this moment to think, okay, all of that is true, good teacher, but the fact that a guy could die and then rise from the grave, that's just nonsense. That's crazy. And I just wanna, I just wanna encourage you, you are right alongside the greatest men of faith, at least in terms of the rewind version of everything that went down that weekend, because the guys that we herald, the guys that moved the movement of Christianity forward were guys that lost all faith, and on that weekend, they thought exactly what maybe you think, that the idea that a dead man could come back alive, that's nonsense, because messiahs don't die. Sons of God don't die. And people who die stay dead. And Luke is like, I, I don't know. I'm just going to give it to you straight. I don't know if anybody's going to believe this. This is not the best way to write this story if you want somebody to believe it. But everybody gave up and nobody believed. And all of them thought it was nonsense. And then Peter gets up because this is Peter's personality. He starts running to the tomb. I don't know if it's to really see if it happened or maybe to prove the women wrong that it didn't happen. 
But Peter runs back to the tomb to see for himself. And when he got there, he bent over, verse 12, and he saw. And just, just pause for one second. Peter had betrayed Jesus earlier in the weekend in the most unimaginable way. And if there's anybody that wants this to be true, and sometimes you just see what you want to see, right? If there's anybody that wants this to be true, it's Peter. And yet Peter gets there, and he sees the linens lying by themselves, and he went away. What's the word? Wondering. No, that's not good enough. I keep preaching. And he went away. What's the word? Wondering to himself. What, what, what had happened? What's happened? What, what is going on? And I love this. Peter gets there, and he sees the first signs of the greatest evidence of the greatest miracle in all of human history that's going to change all of human history. And in the real time, in the moment, he has no clue. And I just want to tell you, maybe, maybe this is for you today, is that you may be in a spot literally right now and you are staring at disappointment and you have no idea that the disappointment that you are staring at may be God working his greatest miracle in your life. But in the real time moment, it just looks like a breakup. In the real time moment, it just looks like a financial disaster. In the real time moment, it looks like you're never gonna be able to get out of this behavior. In the real time moment, it just looks like God has abandoned you, God is silent. And today, literally, you are staring at the disappointment that is your figurative empty tomb with linens lying there and God's left you and he hasn't come through and he hasn't answered any of your prayers and it just looks like disappointment but it may be the first sign and evidence that God is already working resurrection in that thing that you don't know about but you don't see it in real time it just looks like disappointment it just looks like you've been left and he's gone and you don't know where he went and in this moment they have no idea they're not thinking about a resurrection Nobody has bold faith, and nobody's following Jesus. No Christians on Easter weekend. And you just have to ask this question, I'll move on. Then how in the world did we get here? Like if you were to evaluate these guys on Easter weekend that we've built monuments to and, and erected tombs to, and, and the fact that a third of the world claims Jesus as Messiah, that his life is dominating the globe, whether you believe him or not, this weekend across every continent, every language, every socioeconomic status, you can love Jesus, you can hate Jesus, but you cannot ignore Jesus. He is everywhere. How did they conquer the Roman Empire? How are we here? How did that happen when those guys on Easter weekend were staring at empty tombs, having no idea that Jesus had done anything, huddled up by themselves afraid for their lives how did it ever make it to monday L listen I i'll give you a couple things here's what i can tell you for sure and you should study this on your own if you're a skeptic and, and i have so much genuine respect for you via radio podcast or in the house but a stolen body didn't create christianity because listen if they stole a body they were next on the execution list and you just need to know this read the narratives for yourself they weren't willing to die for jesus while jesus was alive they weren't gonna die for Jesus after Jesus was dead, especially when they knew it was a lie. Come on, people die for what they believe all the time. People don't die for what they know is a lie. And there they are that weekend, and Jesus was the message, Jesus was the movement. There wasn't teachings to go, okay, we need to get people to believe these. No, Jesus was the teaching. And so on that weekend, 
they, they weren't going to steal a body and give up their life. They weren't going to do that when Jesus was still alive and they thought the message was legit. Second thing is a made-up story didn't create Christianity. couple reasons. Number one, they would have made up a better story. On Easter weekend, if these guys had made up a story, they would have had an agenda, right? Whether it was written within 70 years by eyewitnesses, and I think there's overwhelming evidence for that, or if it was written 100 or 200 years later. Let me just side note real quick, which is what some of your English professors told you in undergrad, and here's why they told you that. Not based on the evidence in a lot of cases, but because they just assumed it couldn't be true, and what they knew is that it takes about 80 years for myth to develop when most of the eyewitnesses had died off, and so they just assumed it had to be dated later because that's when myth and fairy tales start to originate. This is a really interesting fact. In seminary, they used to talk about in a few years, people will begin to deny the Holocaust. And we thought that's crazy. Um, a recent report over the last two weeks says that one third of all Americans believe that the Holocaust never happens. Because when you get about 80 years past an event, people start making up their own reality. But either way, whether it's 70 years or 200 years, I think there's overwhelming evidence that eyewitnesses wrote this or they interviewed eyewitnesses and wrote it down. They would have had an agenda to get people to believe the Jesus movement and move it forward. The only problem is they're the leaders of the Jesus movement now. And they write themselves in as morons on Easter weekend. Hey, what were you doing? We were running and we were scared and we didn't believe anything about an empty tomb and we said that the women were crazy and it was nonsense and there were no heroes. And listen, they wouldn't have, I'll go quick here, but they wouldn't have made up the story of a resurrection. They would have talked about a spiritual resurrection because most of the Old Testament prophecies were veiled. So they wouldn't have come up with something that is so easy to disprove like a bodily resurrection. That would have made no sense. And listen, they wouldn't have had women. The first to go to an empty tomb discover that there is no body because nobody would have believed that in the first century. And then lastly, and I'll keep rolling, but every time somebody starts a religion, they do it for one of three reasons or usually all of these reasons, and you know this is true. They do it for sex, money, or power. Every religion. Go study it. These guys got none of those things. Sex, didn't get any. They were marginalized. They were not seen as, as even worthy to get to know in culture. Power, they didn't get any power. And in fact, all of them gave up their lives. A made up story didn't create Christianity. A lie or a stolen body didn't create Christianity. And then the last thing is gonna help some of you. The Bible didn't create Christianity. On Easter weekend, when they weren't sure what was going on, they weren't turning to Matthew like, okay, what's gonna happen? Matthew was in the room. And Matthew didn't believe either, right? Like th there was no completed New Testament. There was no, there were scraps of writing from the Old Testament. The Bible didn't launch Christianity. There was no Bible as we know it on Easter weekend. And some of you, your big objection is the Bible and you have questions and I understand that. You should bring your questions to the table, but you just need to know the Bible is not the epicenter or foundation of our faith. The Jesus movement moved into Monday without a Bible. And the reason is because the Bible did not create Christianity. A resurrection created Christianity, and they started to copy their eyewitness accounts, and then they interviewed eyewitnesses, and then they preserved it, and ultimately most of them gave up their lives, not for what they believe, people do that all the time, for what they say they saw, a Jesus who was dead, and then on Sunday morning came back to life, and it launched the movement into the generations.
It wasn't a stolen body. It wasn't a made-up story. It wasn't even the Bible. Luke is like, here's why we're here. Verse 13, because on the same day, two of them, this is two of the followers that were there, just decided, it's enough. We can't deal with this anymore. We're going home. And so they, they were going to their village in Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And verse 14, they were walking with each other, talking about everything that had happened. And just real quick, how many of you, if you've got kids in the house, this is just true about kids. Kids are creepers, right? It doesn't matter what you're doing. You want some alone time. You want to give them the, the chicken nuggets and um, the macaroni and cheese meal and then the save the good stuff for you and your wife. But they will creep on you and they will find you and they will hunt you down wherever you are. Can I get a witness from any parents that are in the house? Doesn't matter what you do, they will find you. My, my youngest boy is the worst at this because he just loves food, and he's so big. I mean, he's so big to the fa- I mean, early on, like, I was like, baby, am I the, am I the father of this kid? Like, where, where did he come? But I am. But he is so big, and he eats so much, and he, everything he does is slow until he sniffs food within a mile radius, and then he comes running. He will find it. He will find you. He will sniff it out. He is always creeping on you. Here's the only problem. He's about two, and his body is about two years old, but his head is about five years old. So his head gets into the room before his body does, so he's a terrible creeper. Like, Braxton, I see you. Your head is so huge, it moved into the room three seconds before the rest of your body. It's, it's poking out from behind the hallway or the, or the couch. Like, I see you. Your head is massive. And so he's terrible at creeping, but he's always creeping. He will get from the da- upstairs to the downstairs in like two seconds if he smells food. Never moves that fast when anything else he does. But he is always creeping. Kids are always creeping. This is going to sound crazy, and I mean with all due respect. Jesus is always creeping. He's always creeping. Like, you think he's out of the picture. You think he doesn't know what he's doing. You think he's not involved. You think somehow he's just forgot to answer in your, in your prayer. But he's always creeping. And there these guys are. They're walking along the road, and, and it says in a moment their faces are downcast, and they're like they have just given up all hope. And there they are with their hearts ripped out. And, and then somehow Jesus is just like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Out of nowhere. And they have no idea who it is. Like Jesus is always creeping. And, and you're maybe in a place right now where in real time you have no idea what's happening. And, and isn't this true? Sometimes it's all, only in the rewind, only as you look back, that suddenly you get perspective that you didn't have in the moment. That when I thought it was just a breakup, maybe it was a breakthrough that I never would have chose on my own, but God was working. And it's only two years later that I can see that. In the moment, it just looked like a rejection. I had no idea it was a redirection in terms of God's will and God's destiny for my life. And I would have never chosen it. But in the moment, I was going along thinking that God was nowhere in sight, but he was creeping, he was working, he was moving, but I wasn't ready to see it in the moment. Come on, you should clap louder than that. And and I love this. As, As they talked and discussed things with each other, Jesus came up and walked alongside of them. In verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him because they weren't ready to see it. And this is what I find so fascinating is there they are and they're a few feet away from hope and they have no hope. And they're standing next to the personification of all the power in the world and they have no power. 
and they're standing next to the resurrected king who's like a foot away, and they have no idea. And so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Not that he needed the info, but. And they stood still, and their faces were downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? Well, how do you not know this? This is the only news going on in Jerusalem. The miracle worker that everybody knows about is dead. How in the world did you not get that information? And then I, Jesus is so amazing. Verse 19, Jesus is like, what things? I love this. This, this gives you insight into Jesus, and I'll move on. Jesus is like, I want you to tell me right now what you think is happening. And then in a few minutes, I'm going to alter your perspective, and I'm going to tell you what's actually happening. What things? And they start to tell the author about the book. They start to tell Jesus, I don't know how you don't know this. And you ever think about this? What were they calling him right now? He's not Jesus. What was Jesus' alias? What, was, what, what name did he make up? Okay, Bob, here's what happened. Verse 20. The chief priests and our rulers, I don't know how you don't know this, handed him over. You don't know anything that's happened this weekend? And it's really interesting because there's a little Greek word that's used right there that's on the screen. And, and the Greek word is paradidomai. And this is the English transliterations. Obviously, it doesn't look this way in um, Greek, but it's paradidomai. It literally means handed over, handed over. And, and as he's writing this, Luke is like the chief priests in real time. The chief priests and our rulers paradidomied Jesus, meaning Judas paradidomied him to the Sanhedrin, handed him over. And then the Sanhedrin paradidomied him to Caiaphas, the high priest, handed him over. And then Caiaphas handed him over to Pilate, the Roman governor. And we don't know why, but Jesus couldn't stop it. With all we had seen, we would have thought that he could have somehow interceded and done something, but he couldn't. And then after he was given to Pilate, the Roman governor, Pilate paradidomied him to Herod, handed Jesus over to Herod. And he was outnumbered, and he was outpowered, and there was nothing he could do about it. And then when Herod got Jesus, and they pushed him through a false trial, Herod paradidomied him, handed him over to be crucified. And he was sentenced to death, and he was crucified, and this is so real, but we had hoped, meaning past tense, where some of you are, we had hoped, we had hoped that it was real, we had hoped that he was going to come through, we had hoped he was who he says, but if he was, it, it wouldn't go down like this, and so our hope is in the past. We had hoped that he was the one, and what is more, it is the third day. And the reality is just starting to set in further that all of this took place, and it's over. He's dead. Now, can we just ask this question real quick? It's the third day. It's Sunday morning. And with all that they had heard Jesus talk about, that I'm going to die and then I'm going to come back to life, why in the world would you leave on Sunday morning? Don't you owe it to yourself to hang out until Sunday night? get a room and leave on Monday morning, just on the off chance that maybe Jesus was telling the truth? Like, why are you leaving on Sunday morning? Why don't you just see? It, it's not going to do any harm. I'm a really over-the-top sports fan, 
I'm a massive Tampa Bay Bucks fan. I've been a Bucks fan since Vinny Testaverde was throwing 40 interceptions a year. Like, that's how long I've been a Bucks fan. Some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so a long time. But here's the angst I have, and I need to work on this. But if I'm at a game every once in a while, I don't have to preach, which is not often. But if I'm at a game, and then it gets to the fourth quarter, and we're down by two touchdowns, and everybody starts streaming out of the stadium at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And I'm telling you, this thing rises up in me. Sometimes I think I even pray it. Some issues I got to work on. But my hope is always that they would go out, and they would get into the car, and they would turn on the radio, and they would start to drive out. And then they would get stuck in Dale Mabry traffic. And then a massive comeback would happen, and there's no way they can get back in. And they just have to listen to it and they miss the miracle because you deserve to miss the miracle when you leave at the beginning of the fourth quarter, right? You got what you deserved. So the question to these guys is, guys, why are you leaving at the beginning of the fourth quarter? Why don't you just see if something happens? Maybe that's the question for you. Why are you leaving now? Why would you abandon faith right now? Why would you stop praying now? Of all times, why would you do that now? Why would you decide that you're going to abandon belief now? Because I don't know, and you don't know, but it might be your Sunday morning, and God is already working resurrection, and you're staring at an empty tomb thinking it's all empty and hollow, and God's not going to show up. But the reality is God has already been working, and you're walking away when God's about to reveal the epicenter of his greatest activity in your life. Why would you walk away now? Why would you leave now? But they're going back home. And they head back to Emmaus, this seven-mile jaunt, and they invite Jesus and whoever, whatever they're calling Jesus to come hang out and have a meal, and they get back to their home. And this is so dramatic. Jesus, Jesus has a meal with these guys at the table after this, this at least several-mile walk in the desert. And as they're sitting around the table... You can't amp up the emotion enough. Jesus is there with them, and they have no idea it's Jesus still. And the scripture records it, and Luke talks about it, where they start to drink the wine and eat, eat the food, and, and Jesus in this moment breaks the bread apart while he's at the table. And as he breaks the bread apart, it's the moment for all of these guys around the table where they see the scars in his wrists. And it's the moment that they realize that what we've experienced this weekend obviously is real because there's the scars. And what we felt this weekend is real because there's the scars. And all the questions about why Jesus would allow it to go down this way, all of those are legitimate because there's the scars. But it's that moment when he's breaking the bread and they see the scars in his wrist that they realize that those scars are real, but there is a greater reality. And if Jesus is standing and sitting next to them at the table, having raised himself from the grave, we still have questions. We're still wondering. We don't know why you would have chosen this. You, we don't know why you would have allowed us to go through this. And we want to ask you some of those questions because those scars are real, but there is a greater reality of a resurrection. And if you rose from the grave with all of our questions and doubts and wondering, we will follow you anyway. And we'll follow you anywhere. Like, this is the question for us. Not your church experience. I, I get that. I deal in that all the time. 
We, we reach a lot of people who are returning, who have left. It's not the pain that you've walked through, and that pain is legitimate. It's not about your unanswered questions about the Bible. You should ask all those questions. I want you to be intellectually honest. It's not about any of those things. The question that you need to ask that trumps every other question is the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? And listen, if you're a skeptic that wants to to really investigate, even if you walk away at the end and go, I still don't believe, that's fine. But you owe it to yourself not to answer all of those other questions initially, but to answer the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, it's the trump card. Yes, I got questions about the Bible. I don't understand why God wouldn't answer that prayer. I don't know why they're suffering this. God, I don't know why they walked out. I don't know why you would allow this. I don't know why you've kept me with the scars. I don't know why I've had to hurt like this. But what I know is the thing that trumps all of that is that you were dead and now you are alive and I've got to go with the guy who defeated death and walked out of the grave alive even when I don't understand it because my questions in real time are trumped by the reality of the resurrection that changes everything. You were dead and now you are alive. And as Luke is writing this, interviewing the eyewitnesses, there's got to be a point where he looks back and the real time confronts the rewind of of what actually happened. And on the other side of of a resurrection, it it changed everything. Like here's the reality, When, when your real life meets the reality of resurrection, it changes your perspective. I love the verse toward the end of that section that Luke ends with where he says this, and this is exactly what's happening for some of you right now, whether you're in the room or you're listening somewhere, is that then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And Luke's like, when we were there or when the eyewitnesses were there at the cross and Jesus was being nailed and those who maybe happened to be near the temple that saw the curtain tore, we thought that that was another symbolic symbol that it was all over and something was over. The temple system was over and the Old Testament law was over and the sacrifices were over and the fact that we needed a priest was over, but we thought the temple curtain being torn was the end of something. We didn't realize it was the beginning of something that God was opening the way to a personal relationship with Jesus where you don't need a sacrifice, a bull or a goat, and you don't even need a priest. You're invited in by faith and all of the world has access to forgiveness and life and salvation no matter what you've done or where you've been because the curtain has been torn, every wall has been torn away, every obstacle has been removed, and Jesus invites every single person on the planet, follow me. And we had no idea in the moment that was happening. And in the moment, we thought that Jesus was breathing his last. That was the real-time emotion, except he wasn't. We thought that Jesus was being taken and crucified. We thought that Jesus was being handed over to be murdered. And then John comes along in his writing, in John 19, 30, and he says the same thing in just different language. This is his perspective as he was there at the cross where Jesus cried out, it is finished, and then he bowed his head. And just like Luke said, he committed his spirit. John writes it that he gave up his spirit. And you know the little Greek word right there? The little Greek word that John uses, paradidomai. And it literally means to hand over until the appropriate time. 
And in that moment, as John and Luke and all those guys are, are looking back, what John and Peter and others didn't realize in the moment is, is Jesus' life didn't get taken. Jesus' life wasn't handed over. Jesus wasn't losing in that moment. Jesus paradidomized his life. He handed it over to the Father until the appropriate time, knowing he was coming back on Sunday morning to get it. And now as they look back, they're going, he wasn't killed. He didn't lose. His life wasn't taken. His life wasn't handed over. He came with the express purpose to hand his life over, to give his life away, to willingly go to the cross. And so he said to the Father, paradidomai, keep it for safekeeping. I'm coming back on Sunday to get it, and I'm walking out of the grave alive and I'm going to defeat death hell in the grave and on that same weekend in Revelation 118 it tells the story of of God's interaction with the enemy with Satan himself and we don't know all the dialogue but we know how it ends and whether it's figuratively or literally the enemy has the keys to death hell and the grave and in Revelation 118 John's writing it and he says that Jesus confronts him on that weekend and John uses this little word paradidomai and he says to the enemy himself, parroted am I, hand over the keys to death, hell, and the grave because I already defeated it. Death one day will bow its knee to me. Hell will no longer have victory. The sting of death will be removed. And so, hey, I know that you were thinking that you were winning on Friday, but I was paradidomite. I'm taking my life back, and with it, I'm taking the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so, paradidomite, hand it over. I'm a resurrected Savior. And so, as I close, here's what I want you to do, and there's there's gonna be more people in this moment like we've seen all weekend long that just like Luke 24, 31, that their eyes were opened. And this is the moment that they recognized that if Jesus rose from the dead, it authenticated everything that he said. It's what turned cowards on Easter weekend to bold followers of Christ who ran not away from death, but after Easter morning, they ran toward it. And if Jesus rose from the dead, it authenticated everything he, he said. And what he said was, there's going to be pain. In fact, Jesus promised it. That in a sin-infested world, there, there's going to be pain. What I find really, really interesting is that after Easter weekend, guys like Peter and John, they never abandoned faith, believing that a good God would never allow suffering. And what's so interesting, let's just be real personal for a second. Guys like Peter... They experienced unimaginable pain, but they were not tethered to the imaginary God that says, because I'm a good God, pain is never going to happen to you because you live in a sin infested world. And what allowed Peter and John and others to maintain faith in the midst of unbelievable suffering is they had seen the best person they had ever known suffer in the most excruciating way they had ever seen. And then he walked out of a grave alive. And they were able to walk through suffering knowing that their savior had suffered, but he had also conquered suffering and conquered death. And when he rose from the dead, it validated and authenticated everything that he said. And what he said was one day I'm coming back with the full weight of my power. 
And come on. Nobody demonstrated power like Jesus' power. Jesus who showed up on humanity, and I'm just gonna preach this and we're gonna be done. Jesus showed up in humanity and he started touching blind people and blind people could see. And he started to command nature and nature had to obey first time. And he started with a word raising dead people out of their graves. And then on Easter weekend, he orchestrated that he would be given a borrowed tomb because Jesus knew he was gonna give it back. And then on Sunday morning, he walked up out of there and he moved the stone. And in that moment, it authenticated everything he said about his life and death. And that was, I really did put the chokehold on death. Heaven really is real because I promised it and then I walked out of the grave. And forgiveness really is possible for all of humanity because I said it was, I died, and then I came back to life. And then he says and authenticates every promise that one day every tear is going to be wiped away. One day I'm going to trample injustice. One day, I'm going to shackle and muzzle the enemy, and you will never hear from him again. And one day, evil is going to bow its knee to the resurrected Savior. And one day, I'm going to set up a kingdom that's going to rule, and it's going to reign forever. And when I do, the expiration date will be up on abuse and on mental illness and on divorce and on cancer and Alzheimer's and rejection and betrayal and broken promises because the resurrected Savior will say, it's over, no more. Hand over the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Paradidomai, I already conquered it. I already handled it. I already got the victory. And when I rose from the dead, I authenticated every single last word that I said. And so as we close, here's the invitation, I think, from Jesus to all of us. Just paradidomai. Just hand it over. The Spirit of God is in this place, and we just want him to, to do his work in this moment. Some of you have been carrying shame that you don't have to carry. And Jesus says, paradidomai, hand it over. You're carrying guilt that you don't have to carry. It's not that it's not real and the scars aren't real, but there's a greater reality. And he says, paradidomai, hand it over. You're carrying dysfunction and disappointment and it's all real. You've got the scars to prove it. But Jesus says to you, paradidomai, hand it over. Hand it over. How long are you going to carry what Jesus died to set you free from? And it's not that it's not real, but your faith does not have to be fragile. And it means that whatever you're going through is not the end of the story, not because you can figure it all out or because you have all of the answers in real time, but because there is a greater reality, the resurrection rewind that changes all of our perspective and says, God is working. He proved it 2000 years ago. He went to the cross to die for you so that you would know that he is for you. He is working. He will see you through and he will deliver purpose out of anything. But here's the struggle is because sometimes we don't recognize the package that it comes in. Because on Easter weekend, he dressed, dressed up victory like it was death. 
And on Easter weekend, he dressed up the worst day in all of humanity. Or he dressed up the best day in all of humanity that was going to change humanity, but it looked like the worst day in all of humanity. And so he says to you, the invitation is not you figure it out or you understand what I'm doing in real time. The invitation is because of what I have done in history, I'm inviting you to follow me, hand it over, and just trust me. And then lastly, I'd love for you to stand with me all over the house. And then our worship team is going to lead us. We're not done yet. And so just stay where you are and just give room and, and recognition of and, and reverence to what God is doing in this moment. Because this is the great exchange and the handover for some people even right now. Some of you have never handed over your faith and your trust personally to Jesus as your Savior. Paul, who had a great, biggest rap sheet you could imagine, he, he put some people to death and then he believed that Jesus really rose from the grave and was who he says he was. And in Colossians 2.13, Paul says this, and it was so personal to him. When you, when me, when we were dead in our sins, we couldn't do anything to undo what had already been done. God made us, made you, made me alive with Christ because he is alive. And he forgave us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And the only prerequisite is that you come to the place to realize that you cannot save and rescue yourself. No class, no church attendance, family of origin, catechism, how much you've prayed, how much you've been able to figure out, how many answers you have. Nothing is gonna reconcile you or nothing is gonna lead you to a place to have a relationship with God outside of you handing over your faith and trust. Paul also said it this way, that all of us fall short of God's standard of perfection. We all need a rescuer and savior and you are not that. I am not a rescuer and savior. And so he invites you to recognize you need a savior for the sin and the condemnation that all of humanity is under and the imperative of my hand over your faith and trust. And when you do, the scripture says that God takes your sin, God hands you forgiveness, God hands you inheritance as a son and a daughter of God, and God hands you new life, and it's by grace, undeserved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Nobody is walking around with the swagger. It's all because of what Jesus has done, but it is a personal relationship where you've got to make a personal decision. And so he says to you today, before you walk away, I wanna invite you to hand over your faith and trust in me as your personal savior. And so all over the place, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes right now. If you're via radio right now, if you're via podcast, I wanna invite you into this moment. And you can just pray this after me. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's your declaration of trust. It's you handing over your trust. And I want us to say this together. So our brothers and sisters in Christ who are coming into the family of God right now, they don't feel alone. And so we're just gonna pray this out loud, all of us together. And for some of you, this is the moment where your eyes are opened and for the first time you recognize who Jesus is and the fact that it's true. All over the house, let's pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe that you rose again Jesus, I'm asking you to save me and forgive me. One more time, because this is, this is your moment. Not just people in this room, but people who are listening to this and all kinds of different places and spaces. This is your moment. 
pray with me. And it's your declaration, your handover of trust in this moment to say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. And I'm trusting you to save me and forgive me. With nobody looking around, because I just want to give space for what God's doing. If this is the moment for you where you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior, would you just lift up your hand right now in this moment and get it up nice and high? Come on, come on. Right now, if this is the moment where you say, I'm placing my faith personally in Jesus. I'm handing over my faith and trust. Get it up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yeah, I see you. Yeah. I want to encourage you right now in just a moment. I see you back there all over the place that you would grab a card right in front of you that says, I have decided, and you, you spend a couple minutes before you go your way and fill that out, take it to our connect point, find the tent tent out in the, in the back, and we'd love to just give you some information about this new journey. Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing in this place. I thank you for moving people from death to life. I thank you for in this moment, repeating Luke 24, 31 all over again, to open the eyes to know that you are who you say you are, and we celebrate you for your rescue and your delivery and the fact that 2,000 years later, you're still doing your thing. And we pray this in the incredible name of Jesus, amen. Put your hands together and celebrate loud those who place their faith and trust in Christ. One more time, celebrate it loud those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate Jesus. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast capture? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.